0: good to see you again. I've been out for a couple of weeks on study leave, preparing for the book of James, which we'll be going through this fall, and I've been working on projecting ahead uh, for, for actually next summer as we'll be going through the book of Ezra, so get excited for a year from now as well. There is an interesting book out there by Leslie Vernick, and it's called How to Act Right When Your Spouse Acts Wrong. The idea is that if you get married, it's going to happen. Your spouse is going to disappoint you, hurt you, irritate you in small and large ways. And regardless of how they are acting, you're supposed to act right and obey the commands of God no matter what. So if your wife is snippy with you, if that ever happens, you're supposed to be patient with her. If your husband is harsh with you, Then you're supposed to respond with gentleness. You got the concept, right? How to act right when your spouse acts wrong. Well, let's just kind of take that a little further. How to act right when your kids act wrong. How to act right when your parents act wrong. How to act right when your roommate acts wrong. How to act right. When you go to school and people you're hanging with in class, when they act wrong, when your teachers act wrong, when your students act wrong, you got the idea, right? How to act right when other people are not coming along and acting the way they're supposed to. I'm totally on board with the concept, but it can get really hard. Don't we all agree? It can get really hard to keep acting right when someone else acts wrong. So I'm going to write a new book. And this is what the book will be called. How to act right when the other person keeps acting wrong and never changes and makes your life miserable. Anyone want to read that book? Yeah. That's how I can feel sometime. When you're like, I'm acting right, now it's your turn. It's your turn. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Because there's this hope in all of us, that when we act right, we do the right things, there's this hope that the other person is finally going to wise up and go, oh, I'm supposed to act right as well. And that's what, there, there's this hope within us that's going to happen. But, but what if it never happens? What do you do? I mean, do you start acting wrong to give them a taste of their own medicine? You're like, I've been acting right long enough and I'm done with that. I'm going to start acting like you. And maybe that's going to jolt you enough to wake you up, and then you'll start acting right, and then we can get along finally. Nope. What God has consistently called us to in His Word is to act right, even when the other person never changes. Because you and I are not in charge of changing hearts, we are not in charge of outcomes. We are in charge of how we act. And so what I really want to push today is this, and I know it's not popular. Uh, You can go to another church if you want to. But here's, I think, what the Bible consistently teaches. You ready for this? Obedience regardless of outcomes. Obedience regardless of outcomes. Are you down with that? It's consistently in the Bible. People obeying. Obeying, 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 not in charge of outcomes, and that's the ideal we're going to see today as we look at the life of David. Remember David and Goliath. We're going to look at David today, and we're going to look at specifically in First Samuel 26. And I know a lot of you are, are new this morning, just popping in for the summer. We've been going through go the book of First Samuel, and we find ourselves in chapter 26. We'll fill you in here. Uh, David's been on the run from Saul for a long time. Saul is the current king who wants to kill David and pursues him and tries to kill him over and over again. But at one point back in 1 Samuel 24, David had a chance to kill Saul, but he didn't do it. He entrusted himself to God and acted right when Saul was acting wrong. Yet Saul kept acting wrong and kept going after him. And rather than running away this time, David comes after Saul and has another chance to kill him. But we are going to see as we look at chapter 26 that once again, David pulls back and he entrusts himself to God. Once again, we see him displaying obedience regardless of outcomes. He is consistently showing obedience regardless of outcomes. He doesn't know what's going to happen with Saul, he doesn't know what's going to happen in the future, but he obeys regardless of outcomes. So let's go ahead and jump in, 1 Samuel 26, verse 1. Let's read. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakelah, which is on the east of Jeshimon?" Once again, the Ziphites are turning on David, as they did back in chapter 23. They tip off Saul to David's location, and Saul sets on his pursuit once again. Verse 2. So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakalah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness when he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David sent out spies and learned that Saul had come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, with Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. So what we have here is David is starting to hunt the hunter. David locks in on Saul's encampment on Saul's location out in the desert, and from a distance he sees Saul lying down and his commander Abner close by while the army was encamped around him. Verse 6 Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zariah, Who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. David gets aggressive. He wants to know who will go with him into the encampment with Saul on this dangerous mission down into the camp, and bold Abishai is ready to roll. Keep with us here in the stories. It's interesting. Verse 7. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Once again, we see Saul and his spear. This is probably the same spear that Saul threw at David on a couple of occasions to pin him to the wall. And wouldn't it be poetic justice if David came into the camp, picked up Saul's spear, and just rammed him right through? Wouldn't that be the right thing to do for David? Come into the camp, pick up the spear, finally, after all this time, and just ram Saul through, kill him, finish this. That would be that would be great. And and that's exactly what Abishai is thinking. Verse eight. Then said Abishai to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. Wow, do you like that? I will not strike him twice. He is such a destructive warrior. For him, all it will take is one thrust and Saul will be dead. But David won't do it. Verse 9. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? You've got to be kidding me. had a chance to kill him a couple chapters ago. doesn't do it. Here's his chance. Snuck into the camp at night. Saul's there. He's sleeping. David can kill him. Refuses to kill the Lord's anointed, which means, remember, Saul was anointed to be king, and he was the reigning king, and David refused to kill him. As much as David may want to kill Saul, it is not God's moral will for David to kill Saul. It's not in God's moral will for David to do this. So David is choosing obedience rather than taking matters into his own hand. Look at verse 10. And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. David doesn't kill him because he firmly believes that one day Saul is going to die. God's going to deal with him. Perhaps God will strike him directly, or maybe he will die in battle, or he'll just die. However it happens, it won't come at the hands of David. David is choosing obedience regardless of outcomes. Are you, with, are you with me here? David is choosing obedience regardless of outcomes. David is exhibiting something called great patience. It's an awesome trait of a leader to have patience. It's been said that when pastors go to a new church, they're to exhibit four Ps. Preaching, praying, pastoring, patience and in seminary there is usually no class on patience because if you are a leader i'm a leader you want to see quick results you don't want to stick around you don't want to be patient i mean if you just think about david's situation god called him god anointed him god said you're the king You're the one, and the only one standing between David and the throne is Saul. And all David has to do is come along and kill Saul. And he's already had two chances, but what David is doing, he is exhibiting patience. Now, how in the world do you do that? You keep doing the right things, and things aren't getting better. You keep acting right, and someone's not changing. How how can you show patience? Well, I think what's going on with David, he really has faith in the sovereign control of God. I I really believe David has faith in the sovereign control of God. David believes that God is firmly in control, and there are no accidents with God. No accidents at all. Tony Evans, uh, a pastor down in Dallas, my wife used to go to his church back in the day. Tony Evans says, there's no such thing as luck. God is sovereign. Anything that happens to you must pass through the fingers of God. And he's basically saying there's no accidents with God. And so he he tells this story about a cowboy who went to get health insurance. For any of you who have got health insurance recently, it could be an ordeal. So a cowboy goes to meet with a health insurance agent, and the the agent asks the cowboy if he's had any accidents And the cowboy says, no, Uh, I have been bitten by a rattlesnake, and a horse kicked me in the ribs, and it laid me up in bed for a few days, but no, I have not had any accidents. And and the agent was very confused and said, wait, wait, a, a rattlesnake bit you, and a horse kicked you in the ribs, but you've not had accidents. And the cowboy said, no, they did that on purpose. And the point Evans is making, there, there are no accidents. God is sovereign. God is in control. And David realizes that. And he's not going to act before God has him act. And so you can act right when everybody else acts wrong because you know that God is sovereign in control of your situation. And he's commanded you to obey. So you can love, are you with me, guys? You can love, are you with me, girls? You can love your spouse even when they don't seem to change. You can serve your kids' parents even when they don't seem to be coming around. For those of you who are not liking your work right now, you can still do your work with excellence. For those of you who are having a hard time financially, you can still operate with integrity when you don't see how to swing life. And for my brothers and sisters in here who are single, I want to say to you, you can wait to date a person who loves Jesus regardless of how long it takes. Rather than pushing through something wrong, you need to wait patiently in faith under the sovereign control of God. Patiently wait and trust Him. I just want to encourage you. You take care of the obedience part and let God take care of the outcome part. God is not telling you to change outcomes. You cannot change hearts. You cannot do that. That's, that's his work, and the people have to cooperate with that. You take care of the obedience part, and let God take care of the outcome part. That, that is, think, think about it. David he had a chance to kill Saul, get the throne right away. He doesn't do it. He trusts in God's sovereign control. Thankfully, God gave David some assurances and some encouragements along the way. Look at verse 11. He says, The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake. For they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Did you catch that? The reason why that David could sneak into the camp with all them sleeping is because God put them into a deep sleep. God, once again, providentially in control of all these matters, which gives David some assurance and some encouragement. David, I'm still with you. I put all these people asleep. You snuck into a camp. You had a chance to kill Saul. It is not... My moral will for you to do it, but let me know. Let you know, I'm still in control. Look at all these sleeping soldiers. I'm still in control. Look at some more of the assurances. Look at verse 13. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your Lord the King? For one of the people came in to destroy the King your Lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord. The Lord's anointed. And now see where the King's spear is and a jar of water that was at his head. <laughs> Isn't that great? David is literally calling out Abner. This is Saul's right-hand man. He's supposed to be in charge of protecting Saul. But David just waltzes into camp, steals his water jar while they're out in the desert, which was vital for life, takes his spear, which he could have used to kill Saul. And so Abner deserves to die for leaving the king unprotected. So not only does God allow David to sneak into the camp, but God allows David to call out Abner. There's these little bitty providential circumstances that God is allowing along the way to encourage David. Come on, David, just be patient. Hang in there. You're the anointed one. I already told you the anointed one. You're going to come to the throne soon enough. Just hang in there. These little assurances and encouragement are very important for me as I try to endure through long stretches of difficulty. And I want you to know that no matter what you're enduring, there's always going to be assurances and encouragements from God's word to be patient to hang in there this past year i've shared with you has been very difficult for a variety of reasons with some of my kids and god's word keeps coming alive especially in the book of james can't wait to preach it to you the book of james james chapter one blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will see the crown of life which god has promised to all those who love him Over and over in God's word talks about being blessed if you endure, talking about grace to endure. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. We see the prophets enduring suffering and persecution. We see in the book of Job, Job enduring and persevering and remaining patience. And the Lord is working on his purpose, his compassion, his his mercy. And so you will see time and time again assurances from God's word to encourage you to press on in your difficulties, to not bail, to not stop acting wrong, start acting wrong because another person's acting wrong. God will give you these encouragements along the way. But I also want to say from time to time, God will actually bring situations into your life in his providence to encourage you to persevere. And it usually comes through other people, other believers. This past spring, my, my wife and I were, were going to a conference, kind of a, a parenting conference of sorts. And we were, you know, having a hard time, of course, trying to manage our kids. And, and we were having some difficulties with a particular kid who will not be named. And uh, we're getting on this airplane. We got a couple of our kids. We're like, man, just, oh, poor us. We've got to deal with these kids. Can you believe this? I can't wait to get this conference. Hopefully something will be good there. And we're getting on this plane, and there's this lady by herself, and when you got kids, you're getting on your plane. You just kind of look at people by themselves and think you have it so easy. You just get to sit there. So she's getting on the plane, and she's like, "Oh, these couple, of your kids? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for talking to us, lady." And and we were like, <laughs> she's like talking to us, and, she, and we're like, "Yeah, we got four biological. We got uh, so we have a we have adopted." little girl and we have a foster boy and you know it's just hard and 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 we're like you know she goes oh yeah she goes well i'm going to the same conference you are oh really how many kids you have she's like um i have 11 (laughs) and nine of them have been adopted and we get to this conference and we keep hearing story after story after story and guess what god actually helps families can you believe it? I mean, do you really think he's going to help them and not us? I mean, do you think God's going to help other people but not you? God gives you these, these providential circumstances to encourage you. in Interactions, that's what we're trying to do in our church, set you up with people and communities so you can see, oh, other people actually have problems too. And guess what? God helps them. I bet he's going to help you too. We need these providential circumstantial encouragements that come often from the body of christ and and david's getting that from from the circumstances that god is arranging it's really awesome doesn't mean life's going to be easy because it's still hard look at the situation in david verse 17 saul recognized david's voice and said is this your voice my son David?" And David said, "It is my voice, my Lord, O King." They're talking like they're buddies. Saul wants to kill him, and he said, "Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evils on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord." For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. This is David's chance. He's confronting Saul. He wants to know, What's the deal, man? Why do you keep trying to kill me? been trying to kill me for so long. What's your problem? Has the Lord sent you after me? If so, I'll, I'll, I'll make an offering. I'll sacrifice him. But you keep trying to push me out of the land as if to go worship other gods among the pagans. What, what's the problem, Saul? Tell me. I'm just a little flea. What, what's up? Look what Saul says. Verse 21. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return my son David, for I... Will no more do you harm, because my life have, was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. Are any of you buying that? That is false repentance. We know him well enough to know that that is not true. It's just probably a show. We know that Saul has major issues. I was reading this week about uh, St. Augustine many, many centuries ago. I was reading about his life before he was converted, and the author who was writing about him said that St. Augustine, he was history's most high-maintenance boyfriend. If you thought your boyfriend was high-maintenance, you weren't dating St. Augustine. He went on to say that he is not in love with another being, but he is in love with the prospect of being in love. It's all about him. His emotional neediness was an addiction. Is there anyone in here that's having a hard time of dealing with emotional needy people? They can be extremely draining. It can take a toll. So here David has been dealing with emotionally unstable Saul who's just not draining him, but is trying to drain him of his blood. He's trying to kill him. And he's been dealing with him several occasions over and over and over again. And yet David continually acts right. But he's not foolish. He's at least wise. Because what happens is he's not buying Saul's repentance. And look what he says in verse 22. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. <laughs> I got your spear. Uh, why don't you send somebody over here to get it, because I'm not going over there by you. <laughs> I do not trust you. He wants someone to come and get it. Now, now finish up with this important statement from David. Verse 23. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. That's good. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son, David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. These two will never see one another again. Saul will continue to spiral on his way to death while David will ascend to the throne. Saul will face tribulation, but David will be delivered out of all tribulation. And the difference is, verse 23, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. I don't know if the reward language in the Bible bothers you, but it must bother you a lot because it's all over the Bible. We are saved by grace through faith, right? Absolutely. But there is rewards. Some come in this life, some in the next. What those look like, it's very hard to tell. But right now, the Lord will reward you. According in here, the Lord will reward you for walking in righteousness and remaining faithful. To put it another way, if you put in the context of David here, the Lord will reward you for acting right, When others act wrong. I don't know who I'm talking to. I'm going to encourage you. The Lord's going to reward you. For acting right. Even if the other person never changes. And that reward may come in this life. Perhaps they'll change. The reward may come by you having a clear conscience with God. And peace to know that you're doing the right thing. Or or the reward may come when you're with Jesus. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But there is a reward for those who, by God's grace, continue to act right, even if the other person, even if the circumstances never change. And that was the life of David. Uh, Of course, he blew it on many occasions. But what we see in the kings of the Old Testament, through their right choices and, and through their foolishness, It's pointing toward a future king. The crown that we see in the Old Testament is broken and tainted, and we're thinking, man, can we just have a king that will continually act right even when others act wrong? And all these kings are pointing to a perfect king, and that's the King Jesus. And we always want to bring it back to King Jesus. Not because we feel like we have to, but it's because this is what we want to do. This is what we must do. This is what the Bible is doing. All these kings are pointing toward a future king. And when the future king, Jesus, came on the scene, all was wrong about him. And yet he continually acted right. Even at the beginning of his ministry, as Satan was tempting him with many temptations, throw yourself down, Jesus continued to act right. Even when he's in the garden asking the Father if there's any other way... He said, no, not my will but yours be done. He continued to act right. And he went to the cross. And he bore the punishment for people like you and people like me who not only act wrong, but even when we know how we're supposed to act right, when others are acting wrong, we still blow it. And on the cross, he was burying the wrath of God in the place of sinners like us. Buried, rose again. And the good news is for all the people who have acted wrong, which is everyone in this room, you can be forgiven through faith in Jesus. You can put your faith in Christ. And it's not about standing before God one day and say, Lord, I acted kind of wrong and I acted kind of right and I hope my right acting was more than my wrong acting and you'll let me in. It's not about that. This past week, I was talking to someone about Jesus and I was sharing the gospel with them and they were were saying that Jesus dying on the cross took me to here and now it's up to me to make it the rest of the way. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we have all acted wrong. We cannot make it even part of the way. But putting our faith in Jesus, who has made it the whole way through his righteousness, we, the wrong actors, can be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. And the good news is, he fills us with his spirit. And now, as we are believers, and when people are acting wrong over and over again and never changing by God's grace, by his spirit, we can act right, consistently, consistently, Habitually, we'll still fail here and there. By grace, we can continue to act right and wait patiently under the sovereignty of God until the circumstances change or to with Jesus in heaven. I want to share with you something that has been very encouraging to me um, this week is I need you to understand that, that often you're not going to see a future resolution but you're going to always know the present obedience. And even right now, you may not see a resolution with your kids, with your spouse, or your circumstances, but I'm wondering, you probably know what to do to obey. I'm not telling you what to do to obey to change stuff because you can't change the other person, but you know what to do to obey. And a lot of that's going to be patient waiting. A lot of that's going to be very similar to uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord all your heart lean not on your own understanding don't settle for a quick fix don't try to force your way out and i understand you many of you may say that i don't understand what you're going through i'll tell you this way i understand many of you are in situations right now that you didn't plan this is this is not what you planned for Like half of you are probably in something right now that you did not plan for, and you are ready to move on past it. You're like, okay, God, this has been long enough. I'm ready to move on to the next phase of not this. I was reading something this week, and I I believe I was reading it so I could share it with you. It, It comes from John Piper. This is awesome. It says, wait for God in the unplanned place of obedience and walk with God at the unplanned pace of obedience. Wait in his place and go at his pace. Wait in his place and go at his pace. I realize it's unplanned. I realize you might not like what's happening to you, but you know the present obedience. Our number six kid that we have with us is our foster son that we've been hoping to adopt for a while and i'm i'm not very good at math but i was trying to put some numbers together on how many days that we have been waiting to adopt him and i I think this is kind of close to the math we've been waiting uh 1325 days and counting (laughs) uh didn't plan on that uh, we went through foster care training. They didn't say anything about that. And you know, you know me. Uh, I, my my wife was uh, posted something on Facebook yesterday. How I took like three of my kids in the morning to the shed aquarium. I think it was three of them. Was it three? Three of them, yeah. Okay. I took them to the shed aquarium. I said, if we leave early enough, we can get there before it opens. So I get there at eight. We leave at eight, and we get there. 8:30, get in line, get in. When it opens at nine, look around, and we're back to the house around 10. So, if anybody's like me, you just want to get stuff going. Like, I'm going to aquarium. Let's get there. Let's get in. Let's get out. There's some fish over there. Some turtles over there. Let's go. I, I just typically don't have a, a tremendous amount of patience. And we're waiting for this kid, our son, to be legally ours. And I'm making phone calls. And Where's our paperwork? Who's working on this? Wait in an unplanned place. Wait at an unplanned pace. God is sovereign and in control. And for those of you who want to do something, God I always want to do stuff. I want to do stuff. Well, here's, here's something you can do. When you are waiting patiently for something to happen, it, it can be a place of deep prayer. Eugene Peterson, he put it like this. He said, waiting in prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. That's good. Waiting in prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. And man, that's David. He just did not act before God. He has a chance to kill Saul. <laughs> Doesn't do it. You're like, well, well, did David ever pray? Uh, have you ever read the book of Psalms? <laughs> it's filled with his prayers. Waiting in prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. My brothers and sisters, keep holding on a little bit longer. Maybe things will change. Keep looking toward God. He's in control. Don't try to force it. Do your part to obey and trust God with the outcomes. He loves you. He's in control. Let's pray. Lord, it's amazing. We're we're called to wait. And and, and, and sometimes the situations we're in are just not only just not fun and not only just just difficult, they're just sometimes hard and miserable. and, And we just wonder how much longer we can endure. We just need you. We need your presence we need your spirit ministering to us. We need your word coming alive. We need your people to speak true to us. And I pray for my brother in here or my, sorry, my sister in here who may be considering bailing out, who may be considering taking their own road, who who may be considering making those choices to speed up the circumstances because they're sick and tired of being alone or they're sick and tired of being hurt or, or whatever it is. They're sick and tired of maybe being poor, like, man, just, They want to move ahead and force things where they shouldn't force things. Give them patience. And Lord, for those of us who have been foolish to ram things ahead, to jump ahead when we should not have, to end up killing Saul when we should have been waiting, I just ask that you forgive us. And all the circumstances and the ramifications of our decisions, give us grace. Please show mercy and help us to wait as we anticipate whatever you may do in the future. Make us a people who wait obediently in your place and who wait obediently at your pace. Help us to wait in your place and go at your pace. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.